E Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. But I want you to know, not only does Peter conclude that true believers will always be rescued by God so that they won't apostatize, but he also asserts that God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Now think about that. He knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. What does that mean? Welcome to Verse by Verse. We have been studying in Second Peter chapter 2, and the verse Pastor Steve Kreloff just referred to is verse 9. It says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Today, we'll consider both sides of Peter's two-sided statement. If you haven't been listening to previous verse-by-verse broadcasts, we are in the midst of a study of a rather grim passage. In some ways, this part of 2 Peter reminds me of an Old Testament prophet warning the kings of Israel that they had better repent before it's too late. Peter, Paul, Jude, the Old Testament prophets, even Jesus himself used strong language in condemning and warning against leading people away from God's truth. And by the way, if you did just join us here in the middle of the series, stick around at the end of the class to find out how you can catch up on what you've missed. We tend to think of God's judgment as a future apocalyptic event, like the Great White Throne Judgment, or as a past catastrophe, such as the captivity of Israel or the flood in Noah's day. But according to the Bible, God's judgment is happening right now, all around us, right in front of our eyes. At the same time, he is protecting his chosen ones from entering into that punishment. If you have your Bible with you, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. We'll begin by discussing a man in the Old Testament who has always puzzled me a little. His name was Lot. While he was not a good example of godly living, he was a great example of God's mercy toward and his protection of those who believe, even if they often fail to live up to God's standards. Now here's Pastor Steve. So the first point that Peter makes about judgment is this. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah proves that God will judge all the ungodly, especially the ungodly false teachers, but certainly not limited to them. Second point that Peter makes about judgment is this. The rescue of Lot proves that God will rescue all believers. Let's see this in verses 7 and 8. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, For by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. In these verses, Peter focuses on the fact that when God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he rescued Lot, Abraham's nephew, from the destruction. That story is not new to most of us. In fact, before studying 2 Peter, we uh, studied Genesis. And so most of us know the story about how the angels grabbed Lot, they grabbed his wife, they grabbed his two unmarried daughters and brought them out of the city before it was destroyed. But Lot's wife turned back to look because her heart was really in Sodom. She didn't want to leave. And uh, she was turned into a pillar of salt with all that stuff coming down upon her. Most of us are familiar with that. And so it's not new to us. But what is new to us And I think it sounds very strange. In fact, even reading it to you sounds strange to me that Peter refers to Lot as righteous. Does that strike you as as foreign sounding? In fact, 
Three times in these two verses, Peter calls Lot righteous. He calls him righteous Lot. He says that righteous man and his righteous soul. Why does that sound so foreign to us? Because when you study the book of Genesis, Lot is presented to us as a compromising man, a, a spiritually weak man, a worldly individual. There, in fact, if Peter didn't tell us he was a believer, I don't think anybody would think he was a believer if Peter didn't state it. Because judging, uh, judging as we study Genesis, you wouldn't get that impression. He purposely moved, lotted to the wicked town of Sodom, moved his family there, knowing full well what the citizens were like. Not only that, he offered, after the men of Sodom said, we want those men who are with you, he offered his two virgin daughters. He said, don't, don't do it to the, for the sake of hospitality. He said, here, have my daughters. They, fortunately, they didn't want the daughters, but uh, imagine that, saying, here's my two daughters, do whatever you want with them. That's a wicked thing. He was told by the angels that judgment was, was imminent. When he was told, he was reluctant to leave. He didn't want to leave. Like his wife, his heart was back there. That's why they had to grab him. They physically, listen, they physically forced the man to leave. Not a spiritual man. And and to top it all, he's debates with the angels. They said, look, you leave and you get to the mountains. And he says, you know what? I don't want to go to the mountains. I want to go to a little village called Zoar. And they said, okay, then just go. Get out of here. He's arguing with angels. And not only that, later, in fact, he doesn't even go to Zoar. He does go to the mountains later. And he becomes drunk, and in his drunkenness, he is uh, he impregnates both his daughters. I mean, this is a guy who uh, certainly did not behave in a righteous way, and yet Peter refers to Lot as righteous. Now, how can that be? The answer is this, that despite his spiritual shortcomings, and they were many, Lot was a genuine believer in the one true God, just like Abraham. He believed in the one true God, and the moment, we don't know when this happened in his life, but the moment he placed his faith in God, God declared his status to be righteous. He was not delivered, folks, because of his behavior being righteous, because quite frankly, it wasn't. He was delivered because his status before God was righteous, and that is the case of every one of us. You and I don't always behave righteously, but God has imputed to us, the moment you trust him, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is the doctrine of justification. Justification means it is the legal act whereby God declares sinners to be righteous. See, God treats us as if we were as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God. Just as he once treated Christ on the cross as if he was as sinful as you. God treats us as righteous. God declares sinners to be righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, even when we don't behave righteously. That's sanctification, but justification means our status before God. God sees us as righteous as Christ. Thank you. We ought to get a lot of amens from that. And so Peter tells us that because Lot was a true believer, he was terribly distressed by the wickedness of the Sodomites. I mean, he was a believer. And as a believer, what he saw really bothered him. In verse 7, Peter says that Lot was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. The thought here, the word distressed, or it may be translated in your uh, Bibles as oppressed, means that that uh, he was worn down by by seeing this stuff, by the sexual perversions around him. He was exhausted. 
He was tired. It brought him to the point of exhaustion. In fact, verse 8, which clarifies verse 7, says he was so bothered that he was actually tormented day and night by this. The word tormented means he was tortured. It bothered him inwardly. Every day, imagine this, Lot saw and heard the citizens of his community openly defy God, and it was literally painful to him. And I read that and I think, you know what? We live in the modern day world of Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet I don't know if it bothers us as much as it bothered Lot. We're we're very quick to condemn Lot for his uh, uh, lack of righteous behavior, and yet Lot has something over us, at least many of us, that we ought to take note of. We live in, a, in just as wicked a society as Lot, and yet it doesn't seem to pain us. I, 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 I think we can grow and have grown calloused to the world we live in. Our society rebels against the holy God. It should bother us deeply that homosexuality is so widely accepted in our society. Not only wild, widely accepted, but moral perversions are considered politically correct these days. You dare not say anything in the public because uh, you'll never get elected if you do that. Vulgarity is the way of life around us. The things that, that are on television, on the internet, on, uh, I was just reading in Time magazine that, uh, near the Pittsburgh area, there is actually a, a drive-through striptease place. Just like McDonald's and Burger King. You just drive through, pay your money, and you watch somebody. Folks, this is Sodom and Gomorrah, and it ought to pain us. It, it shouldn't shock us because we understand human nature, but it ought to bother us and torment us as Lot was tormented. And not because we feel uh, self-righteously above that. Oh, I would never do that. Listen, we're capable of doing anything. But it ought to pain us because the God that we love, who's holy and righteous, is defied by the very creatures he made. That's why it ought to bother us. And so Lot was troubled by the daily immorality and wicked behavior of Sodom that he saw. But you know what? The scripture says that the Lord rescued Lot. He brought him out of the city before destroying it. And that's the point that Peter makes in verse 9. And verse 9 is really his conclusion as well as his application. Notice this. Then, I mean, here he's get. this is the point. It's taken Peter from verse 4 to get to this. But then, in light of all this, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Peter gives a twofold message here, conclusion and application. It's this. First of all, if God rescued Lot by delivering him before judgment fell, he says, then we can be sure that he knows how to rescue believers today from, watch this, temptation. Or it could be and probably should be translated trials or tests. It's the same word. The tests are trials that come from living in a corrupt world. Now, I want you to notice something. Peter didn't say that God will rescue us from judgment. That is true, and I think that's the point he makes with Noah, but I don't think that's the point he's making here. He doesn't say, then God will rescue us from judgment. That is a given. That is true. But listen to what what he's saying. Peter is teaching that, like Lot, we're exposed to all kinds of moral filth. That's true. All kinds of moral filth, especially the kind that comes from false teachers and false thinking. And I don't mean they have to be in a pulpit doing this. You get false thinking even at the workplace you're at. You get false thinking from television. You get false thinking from the media. It's all around us. That's the world we live in. 
And sometimes we get concerned about falling into that moral cesspool, that we're going to fall away, that we're going to going to abandon Christ? Are, are we going to fall into sin? Are we going to renounce our Christianity? And Peter is teaching that you don't have to be concerned about falling into the sins of those around you or losing your faith because you're exposed to some false thinking and doctrine or giving into sin because someone is putting pressure on you. You don't need to be concerned about that because Peter says the Lord knows how to rescue us from these trials. The Lord knows how to do that. God in his wisdom, that's what he means, the Lord knows. God in his wisdom will always give you a way to emerge from these trials with your faith strong and intact. This is precisely what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when he said this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, very famous verse. Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God will never give you more than you can bear. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And the way of escape is not necessarily to physically get away from these tests. The way of escape is in the midst of them, God will give you the grace to endure and to emerge spiritually strong. See, Peter's readers had to be concerned, even as even as we do, had to be concerned that with so much false teaching and so much false thinking around us, how will that affect us spiritually? Will we apostatize? Will we abandon the faith? We, we look around and, and you see men and women who once claimed to know Christ and now they, they have nothing to do with Jesus. And uh, sometimes we wonder, is that going to be my lot in life? But Peter assures us that those who really know the Lord, those who have been saved, will never reject Christ and the gospel. Never. No matter how difficult it might be, folks, with that unbelieving spouse of yours who may be putting pressure on you to compromise your faith, you won't. You won't renounce the faith. Why? Because the Lord knows how to rescue you. Or it may be that you're feeling pressure uh, from that unbelieving university professor who, who puts that, that pressure on you to renounce Christianity who tries to show you that it's uh, academically ridiculous, you won't. You won't renounce Christianity. You may struggle a little bit until you get some help and realize that it's intellectually solid. But it may be that uh, you're mocked and ridiculed at work for being a Christian and you wonder, is it just going to be too much? Am I going to walk away from Jesus because I can't stand this stuff that they're throwing at me? No, you won't. Why? Because the Lord knows how to rescue you from the testings of your faith. That's all they are, the testings of your faith. If he knew how to rescue, physically rescue Lot from Sodom, then he knows how to spiritually rescue you from falling away and, and false thinking that you're exposed to. It's the same thing Jude says, to him who is able to keep you from falling. Now, you may stumble along the way, but you'll never ultimately fall away. You are secure. You don't need to fear what false thinking will do to you. But I want you to know, not only does Peter conclude that true believers will always be rescued by God so that they won't apostatize, but he also asserts that God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Now think about that. He knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. What does that mean? That is to say, and this will stretch your thinking, Peter is, is saying that not only is there a future eternal judgment facing the ungodly, but even before they face the final future judgment, even now God continues to punish them. 
Even as they await the ultimate judgment, the Bible speaks of the ultimate judgment as called the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20 tells us about that. When all of the unbelievers of all the ages will be raised, their resurrected bodies will meet their souls and spirits and they will stand before Jesus Christ and be condemned to the lake of fire. That's what the Bible calls hell. But Peter says that even before that happens, even now, he's punishing them. How does he do that? Well, Scripture tells us two ways that God punishes the unsaved. Number one, and let's look at Romans chapter one. And this this should be very helpful to you because sometimes we look and we say, well, wait a minute. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone, but we're equally as bad, and yet he's not judging people like that now. Ah, but he is judging. In Romans chapter 1, Paul paints a rather graphic picture of the ancient world. And maybe he had Sodom and Gomorrah in mind when he uh, when he penned these words, but it's the pagan world, filthy, morally filthy, and so forth. But three times in verses 24, 26, and 28, he says that God handed them over to do whatever they wanted to do. Notice verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. In other words, God punished them by turning them over to their own sinful desires, and they therefore became prisoners of their own lusts and suffered the consequences of their own actions. Mental anguish, physical illness, emotional trauma. And listen, that continues today. You wonder, where is God? Is, where is, is he punishing society today? Yes. He's giving us what we want to do within his sovereign plan. Within God's sovereignty, he allows men to do whatever they want to do, and they suffer the consequences of it. We, inf- we, we shoot ourselves. It's what we do. That's how God punishes society. We always create terrible consequences when we uh, sin and God lets us be punished by those terrible consequences. There is a second way that he punishes the ungodly before eternal judgment. You don't need to turn there, but Luke chapter 16 tells us about a man who died and went to Hades. Hades in the Bible is not hell, though sometimes in your translation it's translated that. Hades is the temporary place of the unsaved, and it's a place of torment. It's just like hell, but it's temporary. It's a, it's a place of torment. It's a place of anguish. In, in one of the compartments there, it's where the fallen angels are. But Revelation 20 says that Hades will be emptied someday into the lake of fire, which is the place of eternal punishment. But you know what? You don't need to be there. That's the wonderful truth. You don't need to be there. You don't need to experience the judgment for your sins because God, as I said before, gave his son to be judged for you. And he invites you to believe in him with a commitment of repentance and trust. Let's bow for prayer. And as we are quiet before the Lord, you need to seriously consider these truths. All who rebel against Christ will be punished, not just the immoral. That's just one expression of rebellion. The angels will be punished and have been. Fallen angels, the world of Noah's day, Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. No unsaved person is going to escape judgment, but God has provided a way to be delivered. 
called the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, I implore you to do that because you don't know what's going to happen to you before the day is out. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah woke up that morning never thinking that that would be their last day on earth. Last day to ever turn to the Lord for salvation. So I implore you to trust Christ. But if you've already come to him, then you ought to be encouraged by the fact that no matter how oppressive your situation is, no matter how difficult it is at home, at work, at school, no matter what you hear with vulgarity and obscenities and perversions, you can maintain your godliness and not lose your faith. Nothing is going to cause you to fall away from Christ. God knows how to deliver us. I'll give you a few moments to speak to the Lord about these things, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, these are hard words about judgment, hard words about eternity and hell and punishment, but we just want to be truthful to the Word of God. These are not popular messages, Lord, but we realize that false teaching is serious stuff, that doctrine is so important. What we hear and what we're taught determines what we believe, and what we believe determines our our life and eternity. Father, I pray that uh, as these truths have come to us today, that those who don't know you will come to know you. They'll realize that they can never be saved any other way apart from Christ. There is no salvation in any other name given amongst men, but through Jesus Christ, for only he was qualified to die for our sins, and only he did that. And Lord, we have received your righteousness. Thank you for that. Thank you that we be miserable sinners. We're treated as if we are as righteous as you. Thank you for being treated, Lord, voluntarily being treated as if you were as sinful as we were and we are. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage those who are in extremely oppressive situations. You know how to rescue them. You're wise beyond our understanding. And I pray that they'll be strengthened by that truth. They'll cleanse their way by taking heed to the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that as those who know you, that we will be pained for your honor and glory by the filth of our society, that we'll not be dulled, that we'll not be calloused and insensitive because we've heard it and seen it so much. Help us, Lord, to have consciences that are clear, minds that are clear and are abhorred by the evil around us. And help us, Lord, especially never to come across in a self-righteous way, but always in a way that grieves for you and longs for people to honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What comes out under pressure depends on what is inside. Pressure reveals the inner person. Squeeze a grape and grape juice should come out, right? Squeeze an orange, and orange juice should come out. Squeeze a Christian, and Christ should come out. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our study leader in these daily classes that I hope have been helping you to grow in Christ. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're looking for a place to worship, we invite you to stop in some Sunday and find out if Lakeside is the place for you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road, Clearwater. You can see a map and learn more about Lakeside's various ministries at lakesidechapel.com. 
And Verse by Verse is one of those ministries, and we have our very own website, versebyverseradio.org. Stop in there and browse our large selection of previous broadcasts. They're all free to stream or to download and maybe even share with a friend if you'd like. Besides the audio archives, we have a page that offers information about online giving to help keep Verse by Verse on the air. We use all gifts exclusively for the cost of producing the program, the cost of airtime, and the costs involved in general operations. If you'd like to participate financially in this ministry, we would be honored. If you've been encouraged by these Bible lessons, would you tell us about it? You can call 727-239-0306. And if you do call outside of regular business hours, leave a message with your daytime number and we'll get back to you. Another reason to call might be if you would like to order a CD with this entire three-part message. Listen from beginning to end with no announcements. That number again is 727-239-0306. I don't know about you, but I enjoy a really good impressionist. I'm fascinated by how they can not only imitate the voices of famous people, but the really good ones can even change their faces so they look almost like their subjects. I think Rich Little was probably the best there ever was. But I'm not at all a fan of how false teachers make themselves appear to be truth teachers. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. Join us next time on Verse by Verse as Pastor... 